Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I know you are here wanting to change and rewrite your story. You are desiring to step into the impact that you know you were here to create. I am here to guide you with the proven tools and strategies used by myself and our speakers to support you in taking radical responsibility in your life and learning how to own your choices to change your story. My name is Marsha Van Weinsberg. I am a storytelling business coach, master NLP trainer, speaker, podcaster, and seven times published author. My clients have found freedom and purpose from overcoming their shame stories and learning how to share them with the world. I am so grateful you are here. Let's get started. Welcome back to the show. Today we are speaking with a young student and published author, Shanti Hershenson. And honestly, this episode is going to blow you away. When I first saw her information come in, I was like, wow, I definitely knew I wanted to interview her. Her first two novels were published when she was in the sixth grade. Okay, sixth grade. Although her writing journey started long before then, Ever since she could hold a pencil, marker, or crayon, she was creating stories. And they started from pictures, mere scribbles, and eventually turned into captivating tales. Shanti lives in California with her parents, sister, and furry friends. Besides writing, she enjoys skateboarding, bayblading, free running, falconry, and of course, reading. Shanti writes in a variety of genres, including science fiction, fantasy, historical fiction, although she mostly sticks to sci-fi. She advocates for anti-bullying, and I love this part of the episode as she shares how she actually started to find her voice, writing allowed her to find her voice, and then she took it to a point where she was speaking at open mic nights, performing her spoken word poem, Needles and Thorns, which is about the struggle of bullying in middle schools. Okay. This is an unbelievable episode. I think at the point of recording, she had published 11 books. Her 12th was just coming out and she has written 20. Okay, 20. Her age may be deceiving, but she has gone through a lot of experiences and she decided to move into action and transform her pain into beautiful things like her writing, especially since the pandemic. This was the thing that hit me in this episode is it was the point, the turning point of the pandemic where she decided, what am I going to do? Sit and watch like Netflix all day, or am I actually going to start to write? And that's exactly what she started to do. She learned a lot about being resilient and that she was capable of more than she ever imagined. What if we all took that approach in life and how much more could we actually accomplish if we did? Shanti shares her story of self-publishing, the discipline to write and publish while going to school full-time. And as a reminder that we are never, ever, ever too old or too young to do something or follow that dream that we have in our life. Honestly, I've said it on the show a bazillion times. That dream that lands is for you. It's your job to bring it to life. And this is exactly what Shanti has done. I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. Welcome to the show today, Shanti. I'm so thrilled to have this conversation with you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's start with first, how old are you? Because I'm 15 years old. You're 15 years old and I love this. I love this. Um, Have you done many podcast interviews? 
I have. Yeah, I can. I thought so. First off, when I saw your profile come up, I knew I wanted to interview you. I don't see you as an average 15-year-old, but I also think that you can be an example for so many of what you can do. And this is the piece that I wanted to share. So I would love it if you would dive in and share a little bit of your story and who you are. So hi, my name is Shanti Hershenson. I just turned 15 and I'm a teen author. I like to say that I write because it just it's what I love to do. I've loved writing since I was really little. So then when the time came, I decided like, hey, I could actually make a career career out of this. Um, that moment came when I was 12 years old and I started writing my first novel. And I just fell in love with the idea of like being a successful author and doing book signings and like reaching people with my work. And just like that, like just, just at 12, you decided. I absolutely love it. So that was your first novel at 12. And what did you write about? Uh, so my first novel, Biome Lock, it's so hard to explain. So it takes place 30 years after an alien invasion. Yeah. And it's like the aliens have forced the humans to live captive in these artificial like biomes. Yeah. Well, they kind of take over the rest of the world. Uh, the original first draft of Biome Lock was so long. It was 300, yeah, 200,000 words, 800 pages long, and it needs to be split into three books. And then I actually wrote a fourth book later on. Um, the first book is on Amazon, um, but the other three now are still being edited. Okay. So first off, like if anybody's mouth just dropped while you were listening, I love this. So your first edition, when you wrote this, did you say it was how many words? 200,000? So it was exactly 233,000 words. Okay. 233,000 words. And you know what? Just just so I can share, I wrote a book that was like 125,000 words. That's a lot of words. That's yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. So it then had to be divided up into four books. So the first one was published. Is that right? Yeah, I divided it into three books. And then I wrote like a fourth book that was like, it's like kind of, it's weird. It's like a new series almost. So it's okay. like a sequel series. Yeah. I need to write the other books. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you'll get to it. (laughs) Okay. 12 years old, you write this book. Did you grow up with sci-fi? Did you grow up with like, what led you to writing a book like this at 12? So when I was 12 years old, um, The Rise of Skywalker came out and I was, I've been learning a Star Wars fan for most of my life at this point. Um, I have memories of being in preschool and being like, yeah, Star Wars. So um, I've like always just really loved Star Wars. And I think if you look at Biomlock, you can find there are some like minor similarities. There's like spaceships and stuff, but ultimately it's more of like an Earth-based story. Um, So The Rise of Skywalker came out and um, people are going to literally kill me for this opinion. I liked it when it came out. I I don't know how I feel if I watched it um, three years later, but I liked it when it came out. And I it just completely kind of enhanced my love of Star Wars. And then a few months later, there was the pandemic. So... I had nothing to do other than watch Star Wars, obsess over Star Wars, and just like basically cry over Star Wars because I needed something to be interested in. And by that point, I was like, you know, writing's cool. Like I could write a book, but I didn't know like what I was going to do. And then I was walking on the beach and I was like, aliens, biomes. This is such a good idea. Um, To get more specific, the idea came from a Minecraft map that my sister and I had made with like these like closed off biomes. And then we came up with a story behind it. So the story is like similar, but I think Star Wars is cooler um is a cooler origin story than like Minecraft. (laughs) (laughs) They both work. Listen, they both work. They both work. So you took that time of the pandemic when there are I kind of found that there was almost two camps. There was people who basically went, okay, I'm just gonna 
no offense to anybody, just, but I'm going to sit and do watch TV, do nothing. And others who went, you know what, this is an opportunity and I'm going to create something because this time is here. Was it pretty much a clear transition for you that you said, no, I, I want to write a book. I think there was definitely a point, like in the beginning, I was like, I was like 12 years old. So I was like binge watching anime, playing video games all day, watching Star Wars, but that got boring. And I'm like, this is not fun. I'm just sitting on my phone all day, like on TikTok while TV's playing. Like I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And so it was around July of 2020 that I was like, okay, I need to write a book. I need to do something or I'm going to go crazy. So I ended up deciding to write a book and it went really well. Um, Around that time also, I decided I was going to read a whole novel every single day. So then I started that. I I always forget about that when I'm talking about the story because that's kind of important to how I started like building up a habit of doing something else. Um, So I was reading a book every single day, but then that stopped. And then I went back to my um, sitting on the couch watching TikTok and with a TV on for a few months, maybe a few weeks. I don't know. And then July came around and I was like, I can't do this. Like I have so much of my summer left. I have like school. It's going to be online. So I just, yeah, then I just started writing the novel and I never stopped. It was so much fun and it was so exciting. And it was like a breath of fresh air. That's amazing. And when you went to your parents and said, this is what I'm doing, what were their thoughts? I have to say, I didn't tell them I was writing a novel for a few weeks or maybe a few months. I don't remember. All I remember is I just like, at first I was like, oh yeah, I'm writing something cool. And they're like, oh, cool. And then I was like, oh yeah, guys, I just hit like 20,000 words on my new book. And they were like, what? And I think I made them read the prologue at some point. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. No. Okay. So the first time I think I ever had them read um, the book, it was probably like only 20,000 words at that point. It was like towards the end of summer. Um, some of my relatives were visiting and we were all in the backyard because, you know, like COVID. And I was like, I took my printed thing and I was like, guys, I'm going to read you my prologue. It was really bad, by the way. Like really bad. Because <laughs> it was like that first draft prologue. And they're like, oh my gosh, Shanti, this is so good. Um, I don't think it was very good. Then again, like compared to my writing now, it's absolutely horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, I think, the first time that they actually got to um, hear it. Okay. So there's something that's ringing for me. And I've said this quote many times. I cannot remember off the top of my head who says it. If you are not embarrassed by your first draft, you waited too long to release. And I always go back to that because so many people, I can't even tell you um, how many people reach out, have conversations with me. I have published one solo and seven collaborative books where we've published chapters. And so I've been part of the writing process. But I can't tell you how many grown adults who reach out and say, oh, I have a dream of writing a book. And they, I say, well, how long have you dreamt about that? And you know what? Most of them say, oh, my entire life, but it's coming. But it's, it's almost a piece of thinking there must be a perfect time for me to write a book. People are expecting a perfect time to land. Yes, you had COVID. That's not a perfect time. But you know what I mean? People are waiting for all of the situations to line up perfectly instead of just going after what they want to create. So now that you've done this, like what piece of advice would you give for somebody who is sitting back saying, yeah, it'll happen. It'll happen. There's never like a perfect time to write a book. It's like you could wait your entire life being like, I'm going to write a book one day and then like never do it. So you should do it almost when it feels right. But if it's like, oh, well, I'm waiting for it to feel perfectly, then it's not going to happen. So if you want to write a book, try Mm -hmm. Sit down, write a chapter, come up with some characters, just 
take a step to actually do it. Uh, I'm a firm believer that there's no like age. You can write a book. You're never too young or too old to write a book. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's true. Like I get a lot of teenagers in my DMs. So it's like, oh, I want to write a book when I'm older, but I'm too young. No, you're not. I I did it when I was 12. You can do it when you're 14. I love, I love how, I mean, you're very direct approach and I 100% appreciate this. It's like, no, you're not. Like, no, you're not yeah. like, stop, like, stop with the excuses. Right. Because we as humans, we're so good at excuses. Yeah. I think it's like a lot of like young people in particular, like, oh, you know, I don't know if I could do it. And they're like, well, you're, you must be really special if you're able to do it. I think if I'm being honest, it's that again, like, I don't feel special, but that's probably just because like I'm me. Um, it's not as hard as it seems to write a novel if you could commit to it. However, a lot of people struggle with being able to commit to novels and like motivation. So you really have to like kind of build up those skills. Mm-hmm. Um, try, I'm working. I'm actually working to put together like a writing course to help with like all of that. But... Of course you are. I'm <laughs> just sitting here going like, oh, wow, this is amazing. But that's brilliant. See, this is the other piece of, and I'm going to, I'm going to call it entrepreneurship because I think this is part of what it is, right? Is, is that you see, you go after something, you create it. And now as you've been in this process of, you know, now editing and writing and publishing, you're hearing the feedback of people saying, well, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. And then your thought is, well, why don't I create a writing course? Because that can help people in the process. Yeah. You're a little budding entrepreneur. I love it. Like, I absolutely love it. Did you ever have any moments of fear? A ton. Okay. There's like so much to be scared of when it comes to like publishing, but at the same time, it's not as scary as it seems. Mm-hmm. I remember like I had a moment where I was like, oh my gosh, like what am I going to do? You know, there's different pathways you could take. And in the end, I ended up taking self-publishing as opposed to traditional publishing, actually because of creative freedom. Because I was like, when I was 12, I was like, yo, I don't want to like have someone control my book. This is my book. I want to have it how it is. And so I ended up actually self-publishing and I've actually still continued that route just not because of the success that I've received on that end. But it's scary. I have to market my own books a lot. Um, the scariest thing for me has always been like reader feedback. I am definitely a very sensitive person. I get sad when some random person from like middle school unfollows me on Instagram. Like critique is hard to handle. So <laughs> I got... I was like so nervous, you know, like I was like, oh my gosh, my book, it has to be perfect. Um, the way my publishing ended up is very weird because while I was like editing that big novel, I ended up publishing some novellas that are like 20,000 words, just all this stuff. So I had like books out and it was going okay. Like I had like maybe like one or two reviews and they're like five stars. Mm-hmm. And then like a four star review came in. It was like, this book could have been better. And I was like, this is horrible. And I like cried about it. It was so embarrassing. I don't know anyone else who's ever cried over a four-star review other than me, but I've like gotten better at it now. Yeah. Now I'm like, oh, a three-star. That's good. It's like average. Um, I don't like, yeah, I don't really look at reviews anymore. It, well, actually, you know what? There's a lot of authors and there's some very big name authors who will say they don't look at the reviews. They don't. Yeah. They actually have... I remember hearing um, Elizabeth Gilbert say like she does not look at her reviews and there was even her team has said to her multiple times, like, don't, don't look at them. And she fell into a hole once of looking at them. And I really do believe, I don't understand it, but I do believe that there are people out there who, who 
just are mean sometimes. Like it's not constructive. Oh my gosh. I had I had someone last year rate. It was like, it's the only written one-star review I've ever received. And they were like, I didn't like this book because she used the wrong kind of verb. What's and she that? was like, went on about like transitive versus non-transitive verbs. And I'm like, yo, I was, I was in eighth grade. Then I was like, I don't know what that is. I'm in middle school. <laughs> it didn't Sorry. affect the readability of the book at all. It's like I used the wrong kind of verb mm-hmm. a few times. I don't even know what that is. I like I um I talked to my writing coach and she was like, I think that means this, but like we don't know what that is. Like it's like college level English. I, I'm not it's, taking a college course. No, you're not. And I think this is like this is such a great message in the sense that. When you put your work out there, whatever your work is, like whatever your work is, you know, you're an artist, singer, writer, like you put your creative work out there, you are vulnerable to people. You are vulnerable. And there are people who will look for the negative no matter what. And it's interesting because so if I, if we go back to your book now, who is the, and I just want you to say the name. So it's Biomelic. How do I say it? Biomelic. Biomalak. Okay. I just want to make sure. So I said it slower for people to hear it. So Biomalak, um, who is the ideal person to read this? Definitely teenagers. It's always been teenagers, yeah. um, particularly middle schoolers. There's a lot of, like, I was in middle school when I wrote it. I was 12 when I wrote it. The characters are like 13. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of themes in that book that teens can relate to, as well as the fact that there's like aliens. And there's also some characters that are older. So it could appeal, it could appeal to like an older teen audience. But again, main audience has always been like middle schoolers and maybe like early people who are early in high school right the target and it's like some of my books it's like oh yeah i think all ages can enjoy it but you know biomlock especially because i was so young is one that's very specific to like teenagers mm-hmm. and then every negative review i've ever received has been from an adult I, w- I was just that's where i was yeah. going with it i wanted to go here to see if that is where the negative feedback has come from is yeah. not even negative but you know what i mean like it and to me it's there's a difference. We can receive um, words that maybe come back that can be constructive. Like there's constructive feedback, but there's others that it's like, what's the point of that? Like, what is, what am I supposed to do with that? That doesn't even make sense. So, and especially if it's not your ideal person. So thank you for being honest in that some of that feedback was hard to receive. How did you work around it? How did you get better at not letting that feedback stop you? A lot of the time, it's just understanding that people are mean and people can be mean to be mean. Um, especially I've noticed because I'm a teenager and I have a pretty large following on TikTok. They're going to be they're going to be haters. Mm-hmm. Um, I had someone a few years ago, like a year, two years ago now, review every single one of my books on Goodreads, like one star, including the unpublished books. <laughs> It's so like, if you read one of my books and hated it, I really don't believe you sat through all the other ones. Great message. That's so true. Yeah. So it's like, at first I was like, oh my gosh, they hated my books. And I was like, wait, that's a book that's not out yet. How'd they hate it? And I just like, I tried to get them Goodreads, take it down. And in the end, I was just like, it's okay. Like, you know. I, I think actually there comes a point where <clears throat> average, the average person, we know that there are people who out there who will just put bad reviews because that's what they do, right? Like it's, yeah. it's we've looked many times, whether it's Airbnb, whether it's restaurants, whether it's things, and there've been things that we have loved that have gotten horrendous reviews 
But people go, well, there's a really bad review there. And like, it's one review out of 50. Like, which one do? So I think this comes down to a message, especially in your age bracket, to look at like how, again, ciphering out the one negative when you've got a whole bunch of other positives. I'm sure is not an easy thing to learn. But it's also, you guys are exposed to social media in a different way than what like we weren't. So you are... I'm sure this also is going to go into part of you and your story that you do speak about bullying and you do speak about, yeah. So I want you to lean into that and share with us any of your experience on this and your thoughts on it. Yeah. yeah. So I've dealt with bullying for most of my life. I think I've always been kind of the weird kid. I say weird, but when I just think about it, I was just the kid in fourth grade who preferred like quote unquote, like boy things as opposed to girl things, which is like completely ridiculous. Like who cares? It's Mm -hmm. toys. Like Mm -hmm. no one cares. It's a video game. No one cares. Um, I always got bullied for being like different. Mm -hmm. Um, Middle school was a different story. That was just absolutely horrific. But um, just thinking about elementary school, I was always like kind of just bullied for just like doing my own thing and liking this and liking that. It never really affected me long term. Like, I don't know, I got bullied for being a quote unquote bad writer in fourth grade by some kid. (laughs) I just laugh about it now. Um, However, like sixth grade, I just we there was I got bullied really, really badly. And that person, I don't know what their problem was. I never learned that. They were just absolutely abusive and did some other things. Um, and that was like physical and it was just completely horrific for me. And then the pandemic hit, so I was stuck at home. And going going back to like sixth grade when that all happened, like I went to my school and I was like, this kid is saying all of these horrible things for me and she did this to me and she did this. And they were like, well, you know, we can give her one day in school suspension, but, you know, it's just middle school. It happens all the time. And she did it, like, all this, like, really, really horrible, abusive, borderline illegal stuff to more than one kid. And these kids came forward and they were like, well, it's just middle school. It happens all the time. And she did some stuff to my sister, too. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. And we we learned that she even kept doing things to people, like, in her friend group. <laughs> And it just became this whole thing where I was like arguing with my school about it. And I was like, look, I'm literally traumatized. I'm 12 years old. This is not normal. And they were like, you're making things up, even though I had like evidence. So it literally went on for like all three years of middle school where things were happening. And I was coming forward and they were like, you're like being ridiculous. You're making things up. You're hysterical. Yeah. And then I ended up leaving school. But um, silver lining, the summer between seventh and eighth grade, I decided that like I'm not going to be quiet about it for any longer and I ended up writing and publishing a book about it and it is my most popular book. So okay. So this is where I was going to go because yeah. It's the thing like you turned that first off you tried to speak and be an advocate and say this is not okay, which I give you credit for because a lot of kids won't do. And then you're basically being told that that's okay. It's normal. All kids do it. You have to basically suck it up and move on. I mean, I think that there's a level of sure that we're always going to have people we don't get along with, but when you're in this space and it's being bullied, this is different. But of course you took it one step further and you wrote a book about bullying, right? And you published this book and you said it's your most successful book. So tell us about that one. 
So um, the book is You Won't Know Her Name, and it's a novel told in poetry. And it basically summarizes everything that happened to me um, in the first few months of sixth grade. I had to unfortunately end it on a bit of a happy note, even though like things happened like after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's nothing like as serious as the events happening in that book. And I included the part where the principal was like, oh, yeah, it's just middle school. It's happening all the time. It happens all the time. And I mean, if you'll read the book, you'll see like that's not normal stuff. Like, I don't know anyone else who's had some of these things happen to them. And then, of course, I know people have had things similar happen to them. But, you know, it's okay. So I like I spoke to my school constantly and nothing happened the only thing is they did end up getting no place for hate towards the end of the year even though i've been and i was asking them to like do that for months and months and then they didn't even let me on the committee they're like no you can't be a part of this so (laughs) sorry well (laughs) even if they did not let you be part of it you have to know that your work was something that started this process right and and you have to know that so it was called you won't know her name yeah Okay, beautiful. I'll have to look that one up. I, I don't know if I have the link for that one, but I definitely want to share that because I think this piece on um you even took it further. You've taken this further with anti-bullying, which again, I just I'm absolutely loving because you decided to not just write about it, but to speak about it. Yeah. So tell us about that. So I speak about bullying a lot. Um, I speak about it on podcasts regularly at this point, and I do open mic nights where I talk about bullying. I have to say, I've kind of, with open mic nights, I haven't done my bullying poems as months just because, like, now I'm in high school, I'm at a different school. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, there's not much to, like, be mad about anymore. Yep. Um, but when I was in middle school, I wrote a lot of poetry, and I shared it quite a bit. And locally, like, I had, you know, people who, like, knew who I was because I'm the bullying girl. Not really. Um... <laughs> I got like, yeah, it's a bully girl. Yeah. I got a lot of um, people following me for that. And it was just really crazy to me because, like, a year prior, I had been really upset and I was depressed. And I was like, oh my gosh, why did I let this happen to me? What am I going to do? No one believes me. And then I had like a ton of support. So, this is a big part of what we talk about on this show is like when you add and you become a voice for things that people don't want to talk about. A, you like it's a huge part of healing. B, you open up and connect with people who are like waiting to hear this message. And like, see, you start to realize you're not alone. Like it's you start yeah. to open up a topic of conversation that I can't even imagine how often bullying happens. And it's really unfortunate because anybody who is getting to the space of bullying and this is just my own opinion, bullying to the extent that you're describing, like what are they going through personally that that's how they treat others? And I think, I don't have the answer for that, but I just think it's really, it's really sad. So we could meet that with a lot of anger and frustration, which won't change anything, or we can actually do actively do something with it, which is what you've done. Yeah. 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 And have you had other kids reach out to you about this as well? I have. Um, last year, I had a fair amount of people like from my school reach out to me and be like, oh, yeah, this happened to me, too. This happened to me. It was really crazy. And I've also had people that don't go to my school. It's like, hey, your book helped me. It made me feel like I'm not alone. And that was like especially really cool. That's amazing. That's amazing. So how do you or did you have a period of time of adjustment in the sense? Let me just put this together. That a period of adjustment where you're having to receive a lot of like really positive feedback, which feels really good, but can almost be like overwhelming in a sense, because, 
you know, it's, you're receiving this, you're receiving and you're, you're not being acknowledged by a lot of people who are loving the work that you're doing. Did that ever make you uncomfortable or how did you work through that process? I think particularly with You Won't Know Her Name, it was a little overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had published that book with the intent that I would just publish it to get the story off my chest. Maybe I'd sell a few copies, but it wasn't really something that I was like adamant about like being one of my bigger releases. Mm -hmm. And it did extremely well. I posted one TikTok of it. That TikTok went viral and I had people reaching out to me and Honestly, I panicked for a bit. Yeah. Um, I never intended for that book to be popular. I never intended for anyone to know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, my reasoning for that really was that I didn't want my school to find out that I wrote a book with it's like so it uses no one's name, but if I feel I was worried that if my principal ever found out that there was a principal character in that book and that there were like it was very <laughs> just a retelling of what happened, um, I would get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't know if she ever found out. She never told me if she did. However, I mean, she she did like occasionally. It, it's really hard to explain. I'm actually, I'm working on a screenplay for that book right now because I just, I want to try to dabble in screenwriting. And that's the only one that I don't have to think about like insane, like special effects for. Um, And it's very interesting. My principal was a very strange character. And I mean, like a lot of the time she was really nice to me and a lot of the time she really wasn't. Mm-hmm. So um. Like she would occasionally like drop hints that like, or at least I think she might've been dropping hints that she might've known. She was like, you know, on one day, I think you're going to make me the villain in one of your stories. And I was like, I already did. Um, <laughs> but but um, I never really found out if like she knew. Well, so here's the thing. And I thank you for sharing that because you wrote this book to get something off of your chest to share a story. And then all of a sudden it goes viral and you're having to receive and really get messages from all kinds of people. You don't share it from a standpoint to like point fingers, or I think you're just bringing awareness to something. You can't control how other people are going to receive that. You can't, but it's in this space that this is part of what happens and they call it vulnerability hangover, right? This is what they call it in the sense, because you're putting yourself out there. As you continue to do that, does it get easier to keep doing it? Because you know, the bigger reason why you're doing the work that you're doing. Definitely. Now that I'm not in middle school anymore, it's like you own her hurt him and like handling like the sales I've gotten for it in the reviews. It's like, it's a lot easier. Um, and with other books now, um, my most recent release, Never Dying, has done extremely well. And it's going to be my most popular book soon. I'm hoping it's going to surpass You Won't Know Her Name by the end of the month. However, probably by the end of the year, because You Won't Know Her Name is very hard to um, be in like both sales and reviews. Um, and Never Dying was ex- received extremely well by like pe- my TikTok followers and like just everybody. So it's like gotten easy. Like I didn't even have any problems with that i was a little like scared at first i have to admit i'm a little scared because the sequel comes out in less than 10 days and i have 26 pre-orders which is more pre-orders than i've had for like any book because usually i get a bunch of sales like on the release day but like pre-orders it's like i have like a dozen or something because people don't like pre-order books anymore mm-hmm. i keep getting a bunch more pre-orders and like i'm terrified because <laughs> now people are gonna read it Okay. So tell us what is Never Dying. I mean, obviously the name, but tell us what it's about, what the storyline's about. So Never Dying takes place in a dystopian future in which a select, not a select, like a random handful of society are immortal due to this genetic mutation. By immortal, it's like their skin is like really hard to pierce. Um, 
they like can't get sick. And there's like different degrees to it, but either way, like they can't die basically. However, the government has developed an antidote to the immortality that if they're shot with this like dart gun, um, then they will die. And the reason for it is like overpopulation and also a bit of selfishness. But now there's this entire group of people that are extremely oppressed in society. Um, The main character is Scarlet and she is an immortal. She has been running from basically everything since she was 12 years old. Um, She ran away from home when she found out because she was scared. Um, And she's just been like basically a wreck ever since mm-hmm. however um she goes out for a walk one day and she lives in this compound so that's like not very common that she goes out and she encounters kane and he is an exterminator he is a government operator who is supposed to kill any immortals he sees and he figures it out that she's an immortal and they have this really interesting um meeting however um kane has a secret of his own and that's that he's an immortal too. I swear it's not. A, I have to say that that's not a spoiler every single time because it's in the blurb. But it's kind of a big thing. <laughs> wow. So you're just saying here. Okay. So you've got Never Dying. You have the sequel coming out to that. You yeah. mentioned earlier that you won't know her name is a hard book to beat in sales and reviews. Yeah. You don't have to tell us dollars, but you have an idea of how many books you've sold. Uh, total. Mm-hmm. Like with all of, all eleven books, how many books total? Uh, eleven on Amazon. So how many like so you have with 11 like eleven books, right? You have yeah, eleven books. Yeah. Total. So um, with discounted because like I have like some discounted sales because those do extremely well. So I've sold around twelve thousand books, I think, in total. Okay, this is like seriously, that's amazing. Congrats on that. <laughs> like seriously, you have a okay. So even if you just went eleven books. 12,000, 11 books you've written, 12,000 books you've sold. Yeah, That's yeah. like, you should be so crazy proud of that. That is amazing. Seriously. That's amazing. Honestly, I love that. That's, this is a piece that I think is so important is this sense that what can change and how fast things can change when you get started. Yeah. I have to say like, you know, two years ago, I had like maybe like one book on Amazon. I was getting a sale like every, like maybe like one every week or something. And now it's like I get a few every day. It's like really smooth and it's really steady, but it's good. And it's like just if you put the work into it, like that change can happen really quickly. And that work, putting that work into it, it's again, going back to so many people are stuck in a perfectionism of what is it going to look like? Um, You mentioned that in the beginning. And did you find yourself, you pretty much have worked through, like, that's not holding you back, obviously, because you have published 11 books, but have, did you find working through that piece on perfectionism, was that difficult or not bad? It was, it was really weird. So, um, I had starting out this really, really concrete idea on how things worked out. It was like, it was basically like a daydream. Um, very much my coping strategy with the pandemic and to like, continue with my book, which imagine me as this like extremely famous author. And I would pretend to do like interviews in my bedroom and all this fun stuff. And I have to say, I don't remember when I actually not as much got over that as it changed. Mm-hmm. Um, because I have like almost everything that I was dreaming about like now. Like I do interviews and I've done book signings and I have talked about. I had um, a movie producer reach out to me. It's like, hey, you know, I'm interested in reading your book for a film adaptation. So I have this stuff like happening now that I like dreamed about like two years ago. And 
I'm not like I don't get recognized in public very often, but it's happened. <laughs> so so here is such a great message for people to I want to wrap up in this piece that you said. If you're listening and you get stuck in this perfectionism, the only way to change that is to continue to do the work and show up. But what I'm hearing too is you took it like one step further and that you were like visualizing and practicing and like seeing yourself in the spaces of a book being published and, you know, people reading it. And so you brought that vision to life in your own mind is what you did. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's really power. That is really powerful. I mean, I talk a lot about the power of our subconscious mind and how important it is to give it visions and visuals to look at and see, and then to continue to stay in action to create that. Yeah. Cause it's like the, the only really like, just one huge thing. It's like a lot of people are like, well, I don't really believe in myself, believe in yourself. Like if you believe that something's going to happen, it might, it probably will. Mm-hmm. And so believing in yourself, this is like, this is something I see a, not just a lot of kids, but a lot of people really struggling with. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you just knew it? Or did you have moments where that, like the self-doubt or imposter syndrome or any of those things kick in for you? There were moments really early on when I was like, you know, I don't know if I can do this. I'm just probably going to give up or it's like not, it's just going to be like, you know, not very popular. And eventually it's like, I just kind of reached that point where I was like, hey, I'm writing a novel. Like I can do this. Like, why can't I? Mm -hmm. Um, One thing about me is in some ways I'm a very competitive person. Mm-hmm. So if I was, if I heard like, oh my gosh, there's another teenager writing a book and I'm like, well, I'm going to do better. Um, I'm, I'm mostly kidding. Like I had, you have to get, that's a mindset you have to get rid of. It's like seeing another person's success is your like disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Um, I've kind of stopped doing that now. It's like, oh, there's another teen author. Cool. Honestly, I have so many friends now who are teen authors. It's like my boyfriend's a teen author. Um, but that is actually something I notice a lot that people see like one person's success and they're like, oh, I can't do this. I have a lot of TikTok comments on my videos. They're like, oh, I can't do this now that you've done it. Like, no, just do it. Come on. There can never be too many teen authors. No, there can't. And I think this is, this is such a powerful thing is this sense that first off, I get the competitive piece, but I've always been competitive with myself really yeah. like, in that space. But there's so much room for everyone. Like there's so much room for everyone. And so the fact that you can look at it now and see other teen authors that you probably have had even a hand in inspiring to show what's possible and recognizing that there's room for everyone. So I absolutely love that. So how do you juggle writing and school? So that one's, um, it's very, it's really like kind of interesting to me. Um, I've gotten a lot better at it. Last year, I wasn't too great at it because uh, my school last year didn't give out very much homework. I didn't really like my school last year. So I was really just not doing much and I was just writing all day. Um, now I've tried to balance it out. First off, what I do usually is I come up with a schedule and it's like, well, I need to write a thousand words, but I also have a math assignment due and I have an English assignment due. And I try to figure out how long each thing is going to take. And I start to plan out my day based on that. Sometimes what I'll do as I'll do like a 30 minute writing sprint and then I'll do my work and then I'll do like another 30 minute writing sprint. Um, Cause it's also important to have time for like other things other than like writing and schoolwork. So like I play video games or I'm going to try to relearn um, skateboarding. Like in 2020, I was really, really good. And then I just haven't skateboarded since. So I'm going to try again. <laughs> There you go. It's good to have other things, right? It's amazing. This is another piece because it'd be very easy for you to get into a slope of just like working nonstop 
But at the same time, if you can start to do some creative things, you will be in a space like that sparks creative flow. So I'm sure things like skateboarding, like like just doing things you like also sparks your creative flow. Yeah, because it's like, you know, you can't just sit all day and write. Like I had to, I had to learn that because I, I freak out if I don't write every single day. And I do write. Like I literally do write every single day at this point. But you also have to do other things because if you're just sitting and writing, you're not getting that experience. And it is important to have like different experiences that you can then use in your writing. Mm, that is such a great point. That's such a great point. So talk us through if you are someone who's listening and they're like, where do I even start when it comes time for writing a book? So if it's really, it's kind of a really difficult thing. There are so many different ways that you can begin. And I, I have this question so much. Start with what feels comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. There are some people that think they have to outline their book extensively and that ends up tripping them up, them up because they're like, outlining just doesn't work. For me, I don't outline my books extensively. I just, I can't do it. So figure out what, what works for you. If writing an entire really extensive outline is what can get you to put the words on paper, then do it. Look up how to outline, find templates, everything like that. But if you're someone who just maybe has some characters in mind and a basic plot, just start writing. That's what I do usually is I just start writing and the plot, it almost feels like the book like writes itself. Like just the ideas keep coming and then I just have a completed book. Mm-hmm. Um, I often very much don't know what's going to happen as I'm writing. I just kind of sit down That's and let cool. it happen. Mm-hmm. It's honestly like probably the best thing I can do. It's like, I honestly scare myself sometimes because I had one book I wrote in four, 16 days over um, last, not last summer, two summers ago. And um, I just didn't know what was going to happen in the next chapter as I wrote it. I just like kept coming up with new ideas. It was incredible. Um, but then again, like that might not work for everyone. Some people need to have everything planned out before the book is a mess. And sometimes it's like that for me too. Yeah, no, I love that you shared that. And I, I couldn't agree more. I think you have to find your way that works. Um, I did a, my first, my solo book, one of the the tools that I found, and for me, it worked really well because actually I'm a podcaster. I talk a lot. And so one of the things we did was we had this list of questions that were going to spark things about the book. And I was in an interview style like this. And a person asked me the questions and we went through all these questions and then we transcribed it and then we edited it. And it was like, oh my gosh, we almost have this outline for a book. And so there's lots of different ways that you can actually put a book together. But I also love this piece that you're saying how when you can just get started, like other ideas are going to flow and you didn't even have the whole outline done in your head and when you started. Yeah. It's very often I'll just start writing and then I have in my notes app, I put a bunch of plot points. They're all usually all out of order. Reminds me, I have to look because I'm in the third act of the book and it's like, I I need to start killing off some characters. (laughs) It's really bad. It's okay. So we've also got a screenplay that you want to work on as well. You mentioned that. You mentioned that briefly. And I think that's a really neat idea. That's a really neat idea. Um, So you've got screenplay. You've got like right now, what what are you currently working on right now, writing-wise? So writing-wise, currently I am working on um, book number 20. It is a retelling of Romeo and Juliet. It takes place in this high fantasy setting where there's like an overworld and an underworld. And they've been basically having this sort of cold war almost. It's like occasionally they have like skirmishes at their um, 
like it's weird their borders are like portals it's really weird um it's hard to explain but occasionally it's like they have problems but there's never been a full war since that split was created it has this whole like backstory to it it's kind of elaborate wow. however the two countries are at war and the princess of um the like light overworld peaceful country has fallen in love with a knight from the underworld and that's really bad so it's like this sort of retelling of romeo and juliet where the characters are actually both legal adults so that's cool and it's taking place longer than three days so very (laughs) it's like i'm kind of fixing a bit of what i don't like with romeo and juliet i'm also adding a lot of my own things to it so it's really really loose at this point Mm -hmm. and it's also really long um i hit eighty thousand words yesterday which is like my average for my books and i have probably about six more chapters to write and these chapters are all like six thousand words so i have like forty thousand words left oh my gosh oh my gosh and you and you casually dropped that in there did you not say book 20 oh yeah i did yeah. Yeah. Just <laughs> casual. You just dropped it right in. I'm like, well, wait a minute. My math just went wrong. We were on 11. Now we're on 20. You have 11 that you've published, right? Yeah. And then I've written like 20. Yeah. It's, it's like really complicated. So um, I have nine now, almost well, eight because one of my like, book 12 is coming out in a few days. So I have like eight books that I've written that I haven't published yet that are like in editing or some of them, I have one one book now that it's like, I have like, there's always like one more round of editing that I need. So it's weird. Like in terms of like editing, I'm always writing a new book, but I'm always editing one too. And I like jump around a bit. So the second Biomlock book is like half edited. And um, that one, it's like, I think it's on its third draft. And oh. I have another one that's on a second draft. Another one that's like, the first draft is done. It's really weird. <laughs> I'm just like literally blown away. I am seriously blown away and amazed and proud that I get to have this conversation with you because- Thank you. Editing is no joke. It's a very intense process. And I get to a point mentally where I'm like, I can't even read this anymore. I don't want to read it anymore. Can I get somebody else to edit? And then even when that happens, mistakes are going to happen, right? Like you, like it's, it's not perfection is impossible when it comes to books. I will spend like a year editing a book. There's like multiple rounds. There's still like one error that someone's like, Shanti, there's an error in your book. I'm like, no, it's always the, like, what there, there was one with the God's right hand where it's like a letter was like flipped. Like it was, the word was bullet. And I put a P instead of a B. It's like, um, and I, I just skipped over it. Cause it's like, it looks similar. And then someone was like, Shanti, there's an error in your book, but no, it was fine. Like no, she was really cool about it, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's interesting because that's another piece of um, I've shared it on the show many times, but when I published my book, um, I had somebody bring in my book to me with the highlights and sticky notes to say where my mistakes were. And I was just like, so that's what you took out of my book was where all my mistakes were. And her words were just that, no, this is like, it's, it's, it's important. You need to know where they are. And I'm like, but it's important to you. Like I was so ready to let go of perfectionism at that point. So I was just curious how you did that process because I know editing is seriously, it's no joke at all. And now you have multiple books going on at the same time while you're editing. So my editing process is kind of strange. What I find, and I do this sort of subconsciously almost, is I go back and edit the chapter right after I write it. So I end up coming out with these really clean first drafts, except I'm not going to publish a first draft because there's still things that like I've missed and there's still developmental things. So usually what I do is once I have a book done, I 
go back and see if there's anything I need to add. Sometimes it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to add anything. I don't want to change anything. And I'll end up changing something. Um, the book I'm writing right now, I have a ton of notes or things I need to add and things I need to fix and things I need to make more clearer. Um, one, one of them I wrote is like, clean up the profanity. Because usually it's like, I try to keep it like PG-13. It's like one F word. And then the book I'm writing right now, there's one like every chapter. So clean up the profanity. <laughs> I actually wrote that down because I'm like, oh no, my parents are getting mad at me. Um, so things like that. And then I have like some scenes I want to add and some like quotes I wrote down that I wanted to put in the book that like I have to add. Once that's done, I try to do like a round of like proofreading and like editing to make sure there's no like stylistic things and then no grammatical errors. And sometimes I have to do it twice. With Never Dying, I had to do it twice because there were more than... Um, the other books. And then I actually hand it over to my writing coach and she looks through it with me and helps me make sure there's no like plot holes and like grammatical errors. And then either I read through it again and I'm like more errors or it's like, it's clean, it's good. And then I figure out like all the marketing and publish it. So I have like maybe three, four rounds of editing. Any, any more and I'll go crazy. Yeah. Um, by a lock, I rewrote the book like two times and mm. it was horrible. That's yeah. That's not fun. That's not fun yeah. at all. Do you have a team that supports you? Sort of. Um, really, I think it's like it's only my writing coach. She's the only one who's allowed to read my books um, before they're published. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really I'm weird about it, especially like with my I don't know I don't let my parents read it because like I don't know they they get they get to be surprised. Um, so it's like really I just have my writing coach. It's like I do consider like my team to be like you know I have a cover designer, but the cover designer like changes per books. It's really funny. I have like a group of books now that's like all done by the same cover designer and I really like them. So I feel like I'm going to end up actually like sk- like sticking with them for the majority of my books. Mm-hmm. And then I have like other cover designers for different books. It's so weird. So yeah, it's like, I kind of have a team, but I also like don't. Yeah, no, I just, in my brain, my whole organizing brain was just like how to keep track of all of the like it's hard. writing here, editing here. Like marketing, market marketing is a totally different beast when it comes to books, right? So how do you market your books? I do a lot of different things. I like to say that I'm my own publicist. Like I, I'm the only one who really handles my marketing. So it's very chaotic. Um, I've only now really started to actually come up with like a marketing plan, which is extremely important. Like don't just randomly throw things online. Um, my marketing plan for Never Dying was my strongest. Um, before I was just like doing like little marketing things like advertising, but I wasn't keeping track of it. Um, with Never Dying, I had this elaborate plan. Um, just in general, I like doing um like free booksy and bargain booksy promotions to get my book in the hands of readers. Mm-hmm. I also um have a ton of ARC readers who like read my book in advance and they leave reviews because reviews are extremely important. Um, I do a lot of podcast interviews. I've been on the news. I've had articles written about me. And then I also like do book signings and that's really fun. Uh, I really want to do the LA Festival books this year, but it's like really expensive for a booth. And I never What's applied to be like the Los Angeles Festival books. Okay. okay. I wanted to do it so bad, but I did the San Diego Festival, but um, the LA Festival is like a little more expensive for a booth. And like, I never applied this year to be like a headlining author. So, you know what? I have a feeling if you continue on the trajectory you're co- you're going on, you're going to get asked instead of having. Yeah. To, like I do think that that's a very very good possibility, and sometimes you know it's really interesting because in business and marketing, and you can spend a fortune to get your name out there, or you can continue like utilizing podcasts. Brilliant brilliant way of doing it. It really is because it's they have a reach and they have a reach and that. Um, it's hard to buy that reach. 
And then all of a sudden you're now in front of other, other audiences and you just don't know. Right. So there's lots of creative ways that you can do things for marketing. And I know, you know that, but I'm also saying that for people who are listening, like you don't get falling into the trap that you have to do it X, Y, Z. Plus you put your marketing plan in place. You try it, see what works, change it up for the next time. Right. You just allow it to keep evolving. Yeah, it's like really, I think the best things are things that like we view as a platform. It's like podcast interviews, interviews where you have like a set amount of reach. It's like, you know, advertising is good, but it's not everything. Um, I really like using TikTok to market my books, like promoting myself on TikTok and like just getting my story out there. I have 45,000 followers. I'm really hoping to get 50,000 by the end of the year. And it's so helpful because these people stay. They comment on your videos. They like them. They go and buy your books. And it's one of the most like helpful things. Yeah, no, I definitely, when I look at your info here, I don't, oh, I do have TikTok here. Okay, so I will definitely be looking into that one because I am just fairly new, don't laugh, to the platform, but it's been, I love it because it's been a great way to just like talk and connect with people. Like it's, for me, I I haven't had any, some people don't always like the platform, but I haven't had, I've had some really great conversations with people when it comes to writing and sharing vulnerable stories. And I think that's, um, you don't have to be super creative. You can be, but it's a great way to try and continue to share that message. So all of these things, you're in what grade right now? Uh, Ninth grade. Ninth grade. Okay. So ninth grade and you have like, what is up ahead for you in the next five to 10 years? Do you think? So I'm really hoping um, to get into a good college and I want to like go to college. I want to keep writing my books as well. So I have to make sure that's like manageable and it should be. Um, Really, I just want to keep building my platform. Um, I'm hoping at some point to get traditionally published. I've never actually tried. I've just decided like, because I don't want to do it when I'm too young and I don't want to have like everything like out of my control. So I'm hoping maybe when I'm like 16 or 17, I'm going to query one of my books and by then I'll have a huge platform to show and it'll be a lot easier. Um, otherwise I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. I want to get more sales per book I release and do more book signings. Uh, in the long run, I just like, it would be so cool to be like a famous author, have like film adaptations and all of that. And along with that, I think it would be also cool to be, um, like a creative writing professor and like teach other people and make money, like helping people. And you could do both. I think yeah. you, I think you could do both because that's, that's a really powerful piece of it. Um, I often think back to, um, I mean, sure some people are going to roll their eyes, but I love JK Rowling's story of Harry Potter and how she was turned down like 27 times and she continued and continued and continued. And she just knew what she was writing. She was like, no, this is, I know that this is something, but at that time people laughed in the sense thinking like teens aren't going to read that and adults aren't going to read it. So nobody's actually going to read it, but she had the vision of what she wanted. And I think that's what I hear from you is this certainty and this vision of, you know, you don't just have a vision of what you want to create. You're already creating it. You just want to see it in even a bigger platform. And I think that that's really powerful. You'll, I have no doubt that you're going to create it in a sense that you will be pursued for publishing. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, is incredible. It really is incredible. And I also know that if that's not the right fit for you, you're going to be like, nope, still doing it on my own because right. Because it's, there is, there is an asset to that. And I think that's the one thing about self-publishing that is, that is huge. 
Wow. This has been honestly an incredible conversation. I'm sure I could talk to you for a very long time, but I want to honor your time. Thank you for all the work that you're doing and showing kids what's kids and adults. Let me just clarify that for a second. What is possible? Okay. What is possible? Because so many people, if you're listening to this and you're thinking like, no, I will get to that later, or like there is no perfect time. And you can learn so much about yourself in the process of just starting. Thank you. You're so welcome. I have one, I'll make sure everything is in the show notes for people to connect with you and follow, but I do have one more question for you. And it is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? Hmm. Oh, I have so many at this point. I mean, of course, the obvious one is like, you're not, you can never really be too young or too old to do something. Of course, there's like things like no drinking or like smoking. Um, But with a lot of things. It's like, you can never be too young to do something. I remember thinking, I had this very vivid memory of being in fourth grade and just thinking, you know, maybe one day when I'm a little older, like I could write a book and that would be like really cool. Um, but I thought like when I was an adult and it would be like only one book. So don't limit yourself based on like expectations you have on yourself when you're like really young and like, don't limit yourself yourself based on what like other people tell you. Yeah. I think that was, um, that is the message that I want hammered home because yeah, yeah, no, it's like, no one is at the end of the day, this isn't a saying a lot of times you hear, but like, no one's walking in my shoes. No one is stepping in to pay my bills. No one is living my life for me. Like we get to choose and decide what we're creating. So don't let someone else who's not walking that path with you decide what you can or cannot do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Seriously. I have absolutely loved this conversation, Shanti. And I, I'm so grateful that our past connected. Um, I'm just going to say a shout out to your parents because they're obviously encouraging you, which is great, right? Like this is a, this is a big piece of it. Um, some parents have a hard time with this piece of letting go control and letting you explore and figure this out yourself. And I think that that's fantastic. And I just wish you absolutely nothing but the best, but we'll continue to share your work. And I cannot wait to release this episode. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. Until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.